Green Acres is the place to be. Farm living is the life for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside. Yes! I used to watch it all the time. Well, you know what? We're probably the only ones that know that tune. Uh, oh, the light keeps on going off out there. Don't worry about that. We'll get, hang on a sec. That was fantastic. I had a couple of choices, but that rose to the top. Yeah, I love that, it. That's perfect. That brings me right back. I love that. But I mean, the majority of people that listen to us have, probably have no idea where that's from. That's okay. Show tunes. Show tunes from the old, uh, the old TV shows. We, we love those. They don't do yeah. those anymore. Kim, welcome. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, guys. So nice to have you. I know we, we met through VentureX here, which is great. Uh, and you've got a space here that you do your work. And then we come in here and we take over this room and we do our podcast here. And uh, it's been loads of fun. So we love the office space, but it's great having you here. And what are we going to talk about today, Kim? We're going to talk about uh, how can people that are listening to this here actually get more revenue, make more money. Oh, that's wow. A, that's a good topic. It's a great topic. So let me share the deets here. So Kim Piller, Sandler, Cornerstone. How do I want to say this? What, what I do is I uh, do sales training under the Sandler umbrella, and my corporate business is called Cornerstone Center for Continued Learning. There we go. Now you said it's great. It's perfect. Website is uh, www.kimpiller.sandler.com, and then the email is kim.pillar at sandler.com. And then on Instagram, guys, to follow him, it's kim underscore pillar, and you'll find his page there. And he's actually just started being very active on there. Which is great. And actually, I've been seeing a lot of the little tidbits, the little words of encouragement, ideas, which is great. And, and I think um, you'd be surprised how many contractors, tradespeople in the industry actually appreciate that. Like I actually, you know, I do my tweets, right? Every morning I do my tweets at four o'clock in the morning. And I took a pause from it for a week. And then I had a few people reach out to me going, hey, man, where are the, the tweets, man? Like I kind of look for them every morning. So I'm like, okay, That's don't worry. So I, so I did another one this morning. I got it back on track. But uh, everyone likes a little nudge in the morning to get their day started, which is great. Benny, I'm up early in the morning, and I see you liking my stuff. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for liking it. And when I see yours, I'll like you back. I appreciate <laughs> it. I just want to share, we have this new thing that we're talking about, which is building books. And I wanted to uh, talk about uh, Gary V's Crush It. I don't know if you ever read Crush It. That was the first He's one. He's wicked. So Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, this is all about social media and all about maximizing social media. His, I would say his first book, Crush It, was the best one. Okay. This was actually pre-Instagram, which is really interesting. Wow. Oh, yeah. Then he did Crushing It, which was more about Instagram. But also this book, Crushing It, the sequel to that, is more about the followers that have been following him and what they've been doing. So he was actually putting a lot of light on a lot of people and what they were doing. And I really liked it because he actually featured a couple of traits, a kitchen guy and a bathroom guy wow. on Instagram. And then recently he just launched 12 and a half. Not a fan. I'm sorry to say, but I'm not a fan. This was... In my opinion, a very boring book. I'm sorry to say. Wow. It, it was just, it's, it's not, it wasn't for me. I think I was expecting something different. If you're a huge fan of his, then by all means, give it a try. But I yeah, wasn't Yeah, because he's fan. loud and proud. He is, he is. But he and was looking at it And for you to say that's boring, that's uh, weird. Everybody's got their opinion. Everybody's yeah. got their opinion. But that's what we wanted to share for those books there. If you can, okay. look it up. It's, it's Crush It, Crushing It, and then the 12 and a half there. But Gary Vee is pretty much um, a huge social media, digital landscape guru out there kim okay that's who he is so okay. you can learn a lot from him on, on what to do but basically what you started to do on social media is what that's the what that's, he talks about yeah that's what he talks about and then he goes into more depth and things like that let's get on with the show where do you want to begin kim 
You know, when I was speaking with uh, you and Carlito a couple of weeks ago, I, my mindset for you and what the trades do is I thought you guys were making lots of money, so I, I, my, my question <laughs> to you is like, why would anybody want to talk to a sales trainer or a uh, sales coach in your business? Uh, you guys are making tons of money. Well, uh, uh, you first. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, what, what we're going to speak about right now is the most important part of it of all. Yes. Um, the negotiation, the renegotiations, uh, the, the business, the relationship, the business, communication again, the changes, everything you are going to bring to the table this morning is the most important part. It's easy to land a job. It's easy to look at a job. It's easy to quote a job. It's hard to land a job and negotiate through it. So the biggest problem in construction in my opinion, because I always speak for myself, I will never speak for Carlito there. Thank you. I'll be arrested if I do. <laughs> he does speak for me, though. <laughs> Is everybody in construction, tradesperson, subcontractor, business owner, supplier, anybody, the business part of the business is always falling behind the skill part of the business. And it takes a lot of people, including Carlito and myself, a very long time to acknowledge that, to look in the mirror and actually say, I suck at business, I'm great at carpentry, I'm great at masonry, I'm great at tiling, but I suck at business. And they don't want to hear it, they don't want to be told it, but I think what happens is a lot of people in the business either get a wake-up call from their significant other or maybe a very good friend, and they say, you know what, you might do yourself a really good service by taking a business night course, hmm. just to kind of get a better understanding of it and i know that recently i saw a quote from elon musk where he was talking about most drug dealers have a better sense of business than people are coming out of school which is an interesting quote <laughs> it's just an interesting <laughs> quote but i mean it's it's business right well, and it's it, construction it's funny you say that because i don't want to admit to it but i will <laughs> um, most of my friends are aren't educated and are from the street are doing better and well off much more than my educated friends that went to university or college. They're very successful. Lots of properties, lots of money, lots of toys, enjoying life fully. And my educated friends, there's only a few that have done very well. So, Kim, let me ask you, what do most people do wrong when they go self-employed and they're running their own business? Let me ask you a question, Manny. Why do you do what you do? Why are you doing this? I do what I do. I learned the real reason why I do what I do because I wanted to share. So whatever I learned, I wanted to share it and, and teach somebody else, take this and run with it. And then I get joy out of someone exploring my ideas and trying something different and working from that. I, I like passion being driven and seeing people motivated by the industry and wanting to build better and do better and things like that. So that was my earlier. So in the beginning, I when I got into the business, I questioned the business. I was always asking, why is it done that way? Why haven't we evolved? Why don't we try this? Why aren't we paying attention to Europe, Asia, to other parts of the world? Why are we not doing all that? Why are we not going to more conventions and trade shows and meeting more people from around the world? Today you can do it. 12 years ago, 13 years ago, you couldn't do it as easily. But today you can. You can reach out and have a conversation with anybody halfway around the world. So I do it for that. That's the, I have a love for it. Carlito. Are we talking about present or beginning? I, I'm going to, for you, Carlito, beginning. For me, the beginning was I come from 
a family that's not very well off. They struggled very hard coming from Europe to here, first generation. I didn't have what a lot of my friends had, and I had to start working at 13. And by the time I was 15, I got a full-time job. I was working at a, a factory. There was older guys working there and they were moonlighting. And what I was starting to see was that they didn't trust me at the beginning because I was too young at, at the time. But one guy would do windows, another guy would do drywall. And so they would work at the factory and then run their own businesses. And I always saw that they had really cool tools. They had really nice vehicles. They had money all the time. They were happy all the time. And as I started getting into their groups, I saw that these guys were having fun after work. For me, it was a way to get out of a poverty and create something of my own that I could call my own and do something with my hands. I was always very good with my hands. I just never had a, a direction to put it, that energy into. So I started fixing other people's houses. And what it really was was at one point, because my parents were poor, they never learned how to make money. I saw that these guys had unlimited amounts of money and they could make 5,000 a week, they could make 2,000 a week, they could make 10,000 a week. When I saw that kind of motivation for me, I wanted to learn how to make money. Indirectly, that was kind of the leap forward into construction because I could have stayed in a factory, I could have got a, a, a different job somewhere else and never been motivated to buy tools, a van. And I saw money and inspiration to have my own business and be my own boss and control my own destiny. And, and as you said, Carlito, you could have done anything. You could have stayed in the factory, but you did say one thing, you like to work with your hands. You, you like to work with the tools, you like to build something, you, you, you like that part of what you do. And, and I think that's where I go back to, Manny, if you, you ask me, like, wh what are some of the problems, what are some of the issues with what happens when somebody starts their own business is they love what they do. They love to work with their hands, they love to build things here. But the business part of it is, is, is not there. No. Uh, so again, Carlito, you said, yeah, you could make lots of money. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people do make lots of money, but they love what they do. And that's probably the biggest miss that I see with people and whether or not it's in construction and renovation, uh, any clients that I deal with, they got into a particular business because they love what they do. They just wasn't sure that they actually, or didn't know that they actually had to run a business and make money. And that, that's a big miss. It yeah. is. You're right, and so like, and there's, uh, what you're gonna teach us tonight is gonna be very important for the guys that, like I never had this growing up because nobody ever wanted to teach you anything. Everything was always hidden behind newspapers. No one ever passed on the, the knowledge or the information. One of the things that was my problem for the longest time was I work with my heart and not my head. And in business, you have to work with your head. You could get the biggest house on the block but if you're not making any money, is it really worth it? Well, that's what the Are love you doing is. yourself a favor? So if you still love and you're just doing it as a love, you're eventually going to go belly up. Your business won't survive. Right. So how can we do both? That's our question to you. Like, how do we handle that? How do we, is it an education? Is it a training? Is it technique? Is it a networking? Or what is it? Is it just a combination of a bunch of things? Yeah, I, I smile, Manny, because it's yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, all right. It, yeah, it's a bunch of different things. It's not, it's not black and white. It's just not one thing, so it is a bunch of things. But it's, how do you do that? How do you put that together? How do you keep with your passion, your love, working with your hands, building, but also at the same time, build a structure 
that you've got a, a business that is going to last for a long time, give you the money that you'd like to have, that your family would like to have, and something that you could retire with. And if it's your own business, sell it, make some money off it. That's the big thing. I mean, I mean, because a, a lot of kids in the industry, 12 years ago, I don't know what the conversation, you've been in the business longer than me, Carlito. So a lot of people in construction don't realize that they can sell this if you build it a certain way and it gets to a certain point you could actually sell the business i was just having a conversation today on the phone with somebody from from montreal there discussing the possibility of that he's like talking to somebody about listen this might be an option here where i'll buy your company you'll stay on for a little bit but at least i'll pay for a certain amount because you've built a brand based on your dad your dad and your uncles built this brand and now you're taking it over and they're getting ready to get out of it so you want to look at possibly selling it so I tell everybody that starts construction, build your brand to the point where you can sell it and, and almost have the mindset of like, it's another Nike or it's another Apple. I'm not saying that your construction company is ever going to get to that size, but treat it that way as such. Hopefully we can get there and try to share that so people can get a better mindset on that. Well, I can see that he's building up his information right now to address our, our business. For me, one of the biggest things and the most important is confidence. And negotiations and when i say that is when you give the customer that price you have to be able to balance your price and their budget and not have them undermine you and make you do it for free because that's what happens 80 percent of the time in construction you go in there you're you're confident with the number you're honest it's you know right on the money and then they talk you down and if you don't have business sense, if you're not confident and you don't stick to your guns, you get taken advantage, you work for free, and you hate this in this whole business, this whole construction world. It's notorious. Construction is notorious for that. I'm trying to think of other industries that are notorious for that, but I can't think of anything because I've never walked into my optometrist and had a cleaning and go, listen, free, right? This month? This one? Good? Never happens. You're totally right. Right. But in construction, it happens on a daily. But... Uh, you know, you're leading to one thing here. Why is it that salesmen and contractors are the ones that always have to negotiate their price? I would call this what we call is the buyer-seller stance. You get yourself into a situation where the buyer is in one state of mind, one set of behaviors, and the seller could be you at this particular time, is in a different set of behavior, different set of activities going on in their brain set. And when you guys get together, call that the buyer-seller's dance, there's a collision. So what we'd like to do is take a look at how could you actually avoid that so that um, you don't get into that buyer-seller's dance and there's not that collision. Give you an example of that. If you ever walked into a car dealership and want <laughs> to buy a car? Of course. Uh, what happens is you walk into the dealership and you, you see that one car, that one truck that you like, and you're walking up there. Is there a possibility that you're going to get T-boned by the salesperson? Of course. So now in, sure. th in this case here, you're the buyer but you're walking into a dealership and there's a seller and that seller T-bones you, what happens, sir? They start inquiring about you on a personal level sometimes, trying to figure out where you're standing. But I guess logically, if you're already going towards one type of vehicle, that's the circle that you're looking at regarding an interest. So then they'll start feeding that interest. They'll start thinking, how do I plant these seeds, I guess, to make the, the buyer interested in this product even further is that what's going on 
Yeah, in a lot of cases, uh, what they're doing, and I, I kind of described it this way, Manny, is that they're trying to tell you, one, how good they are as a salesperson. They're trying to tell you the product that you're looking at is how good that is, and they will spend a lot of the conversation just saying how good I am, how good this vehicle is, without actually most times actually asking you what are you looking for. Hmm. So that sets up that buyer-seller stance is that that person is trying to sell you as opposed to finding out more of what you want. And so it's really kind of learning how do you have that initial conversation so that you're actually, and, and this might sound weird for me being a sales trainer, is what we want to do is we want to set up a conversation where you're not selling somebody. What you want to do is set up a business conversation have that business conversation. There's a certain set of tactics that you can do to do that so that at the end of the decision, well, I should say the end of the conversation, there's actually a decision that is based on the buyer's needs. I'll ask you a question. Do you like to be sold? No. I love Carlito, saying no. You love to say no. Too often we approach somebody and we sell them. As soon as, yes. as soon as you feel like you're being sold, what's the first thing now when we can go back to a shopping mall? So you go to a shopping mall, you're looking for shoes. Uh, you go into the shoe store. What happens when you walk in? Well, they want to right away, like they want to make sure that you don't leave that store without not buying a pair yes. of shoes yeah. and from them. So they'll come up to you and they'll say, can I help you? What do you say? I say, I'll get back to you when I need some help. I'm just <laughs> no, looking no, at I'll some say, shoes. I'm just looking, exactly. I try, like... to, I try to make them so uncomfortable with me that I'm wasting their time. While I'm looking for my shoes, I select the person that I might be able to help get a sale. And I try to pick through the guys that are just not interested in so you're my not, needs. So you're not going in there like... No, no, I'm going in for, for a pair of shoes. shoes. Just say I'm going in for a pair of shoes. I don't want to be hassled or rushed at the door. So I look, while I say no to everybody, I'm also looking at the staff and I'm picking who I'm going to deal with when I do make my purchase. From that example, that's somebody trying to sell you. Yeah. So if you go in to talk to uh, somebody that's interested in doing a renovation or a new building, if you go to try to sell them, they are going to feel that way. They're going to become defensive. They're going to back away. And, and then you'll get into a situation where you get into that buyer-seller stance that, as you're saying, Carlito, that's where it's going to run down to where they're going to beat you up on money. Because you've walked in there trying to sell them, let's maybe take a look at how we can change that conversation so that they actually feel more comfortable. You're actually in control of the conversation, not them. And will there be times that they do try to be up on money? The answer is yes. But if you can change that initial conversation, it will be less of that beating up for money. Now, let me ask you, Kim, do we have a disadvantage in construction? Because I've always compared it to, okay, sure, we're walking into a dealership and there's a product, it's a car, it's already mm -hmm. been manufactured, it has a price on it. You walk into the shoe store, same thing. You walk into speaking to a tradesperson, a contractor to do a scope of work, it could be custom, it could just be a service, it could be a repair, but there's variables attached to that widget that you're purchasing versus the car, the shoe. That's where I guess a lot of tradespeople will try to sell it and they inadvertently get into that buyer's seller's dance, right? Mm -hmm. Where are the techniques now that we can kind of apply to that so we can avoid that? Because every person in construction gets beaten up by the price. Everybody. And most of that is that I think that 
a lot of us contractors can show when we're desperate and when we're not desperate. A homeowner, a homeowner can see it from how badly you want to get that job, how fast you want to get in. I'm so busy that when they want a price for me right now, I'm like, hey, you need to wait a week because I need to get time to write this down and approach you. Many people that aren't serious and are looking for a second or third quote will never go with me. Or they'll think about me in the future because they like that I wasn't in a rush to get into their home. I kind of win automatically because they're, they're not fishing me along. I have to walk away, step away for a moment, and I get to learn who's serious and who's not. So by me walking away and them giving me a week, of course, communication is the most important part. Always keep in contact. Doesn't mean you have to be on the phone with them, but just saying a text, listen, you know, I'm, I'm working on this. I haven't forgot about you. They always appreciate that kind of stuff. That's how I always end up with my customers because I find that they're serious if they wait a week or they wait two weeks. That's when I but know that's I, even get, getting, I land a job. That's getting further ahead now. We, we've just met this potential client and they're asking us for a ballpark rough figure of we want a new kitchen for argument's sake. How do we present ourselves? How should we present ourselves for that conversation? How much should we give up at that initial conversation when you're selling something, you're selling your service? Uh, I'll answer that in two parts. Uh, Carlito, you said about uh, uh, somebody might be going in there too hungry for the money. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a, a dog. A dog will know that if you're scared of the dog and they'll just kind of, they'll say, okay, you're scared of me, so I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll make you even more scared of me. So yeah, if you go into a prospect and you talk to the homeowner and they can kind of feel that you're looking for money, yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna know that and they're going to try to take the money. So change it around a little bit is maybe the conversation is that you actually go in and just say, I'm not really sure if I'm the right person for this job, but let's talk about it. By that, you're actually backing away. So the opposite to that, as I said, uh, sorry about for the car dealerships, but you kind of... <laughs> yeah, no, no, it makes they, sense, they, totally. They, they, they made that. If you go in again trying to sell that person, they're going to feel that. If you can back away, that's the way that I describe it, back away and just say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm the right guy for this here, but let's take a look at it. So that conversation is right away, they start thinking about, why aren't you the guy for this? We, we know about you, we've seen your work, we're interested in you, but now you're telling us that you're not interested in us. I, I, let me see, maybe, maybe this will work, maybe it won't work. Hmm. So all of a sudden it kind of gives them the thought exactly you said there, Manny. They're saying, well, hang on a sec. I heard that you guys are really, really good. Why, why, why wouldn't you be good for this here? So it just changes the tempo. You're not pushing. And all of a sudden there's, they're, they're actually starting to pull. Hmm. It's a different concept. There. Yeah. And in our line of the business, again, speaking for myself, a lot of people want the job done tomorrow. And that's not realistic for me. And I don't want to have a customer that's rushing me. I'm not the kind of guy that rushes in and out of a house. I do a different quality of job. So I'll always tell them that I will take a little longer because it's a little hint of love put into their home. I'm just not there to get the money and get out. I, I do want that money, but I have some self-respect so and I don't want to call back. Kim, yes. how much time should we commit to our initial meeting? When we, when we first meet a potential client, is the objective to be there as long as possible or just to try to get as much information from them or like how uh, when we're trying to sell something without trying to look like we're selling something like what should we be committed to 
to, to me, it would be a little different, Manny, if you're looking at going in and building somebody's house or... Depends uh, on or the scope of the work, yeah, the project, yeah, for sure. Let's say you're doing some landscaping or something like that. I think that you want to make it a limited time just to get a little bit of a feel and for them to get a feel for you and not to go in there and try to get the order. I think realistically in construction, you don't want to be there more than an hour. That's long. And because I, no, an hour goes by because they want to get to know who you, who you are. You're going to walk through their house. You're going to look through the project. You're going to feel them out. You're going to see what their budget is. I always, I always finish. I think, I think if you're doing a complete new build, the initial meeting, I think you're there for an hour and a change or something like that. If you're just doing a deck or just some sort of hardscaping or something like that, you're in there like 20 minutes, man. Yeah, I've never just come in for a project that has taken anything under 30 minutes. Like, there's no way that I've ever no, been in a house I, less I, I than 30 minutes. I do the same minutes. thing, and I'm just wondering, am I just staying there to kind of be a resource? Let, let's back up a little bit. So let's say, again, it's a, a deck. Uh, you've talked to somebody on the phone. Consider qualifying or disqualifying that person. Maybe you do. I'm not sure, but maybe qualify, disqualify that person even on the phone. So again, that's some, important. So somebody might be saying, "I need some uh, a new deck or whatever." Has it ever happened to you where you kind of maybe drove 30 minutes to see somebody's deck and find out that maybe they just needed a, a new railing put on? I've I've dismissed potential clients just based on verbiage in a text or an email. Mm -hmm. I just read a certain sentence and I just say that they're kicking tires. Yep. So I'm not interested if I'm going to be the fourth or the fifth or whatever quote or even the third and they just want to see one of my prices so they can compare it and then acknowledge that the person they are considering, they'll go with that person. The verbiage in, in some sort of written communication actually gives me a red flag and then I'll say, no, I'm not interested. I won't even get to the point of doing a meeting. Yeah, and you're experienced at that, but I'm sure there's a lot of people listening today that uh, that aren't experienced. Oh, here's a that. lead. Look at this. They're interested. They found me. They found me on so and so or whatever. I'm interested, so I'm going to go. That's what I'm wondering is if you tell yourself limit your time mm -hmm. for your initial meeting, you get out of there. And I th that's why I think initially an hour is too long of your. It's your time. You just met them. You haven't gotten the job. We don't know exactly the full bill. What's attached to here? Um, we're just getting to know each other's personalities. We're trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure out you. You're trying to figure out them. So I think that you got to, like, you know this. When you meet somebody, you know right off the bat. Two minutes, you know what kind of person they are. Typically from their budget. Like, that's how I... That's so that's, how your, I, that's your first question? You'll come in and you go, what's your budget? No, I, I first thing I do is I say, you know, uh, let's take a look at your work before I say anything. I just want to feel you guys out. Second question is, you know, do you want a Ferrari? You want a Cadillac? or you want a Hyundai. And this doesn't really mean anything about those cars, but yep. it puts you into a classification of the kind of project you want and how real, how serious you are. So if someone says they want a Hyundai, typically I'm going to get someone from a union or uh, some guys that are fly by night because that means you really don't care and either you're a slumlord or you've got a really small budget and there's going to be a problem. Usually if you get the Cadillac, it's, it's very realistic. Usually some people want to go right for the Ferrari and got the big place, but they don't realize that those are the guys that will screw you. I don't trust anybody on first impressions. Um, <laughs> like no, you, you can judge somebody, everybody? you can judge somebody and people are predictable, but when it comes to business, it's they're ninjas, all of them. So sometimes the <laughs> best relationships at the beginning are the worst relationships at the end. 
and vice versa. Sometimes I start really rough with somebody, but I end up taking their job and I have a great relationship with them and it's for life. I guess, Kim, there's two paths here that we can go down because you've got the individual tradesperson, so they've got mm -hmm. their skill set. So plumbers, electricians, HVAC, uh, roofers, ha what have you. Then you have the contractor GC who does a rear addition, second story, a new build or a complete reno of the house or whatever. And then that person will bring all the trades in. Should both avenues be treated the same way? So if you're an electrician, you come in and they want to add a dozen pot lights or whatever, and then just add some dimmers and start having some, a little bit of automation. They do the exact same thing as a GC walking in to do a full scope build. I would say there's going to be a lot of similarities and I'll go back to, uh, when you have somebody on the phone, qualify and disqualify them there. First. So, so, so yeah, before you go too far down the line. So take for example, uh, somebody that calls you up and says, you know, I'm thinking of doing a renovation on the house. It, you know, a lot of people get happy years on that. It's like, oh, great, you know, a full house renovation. You know, a very simple qualifying, disqualifying question could be to them. Um, you're talking to them say, hey, Manny, thanks for the call here. You know, usually whenever uh, somebody calls me and they say that they want to do a, uh, a renovation on the house, there's usually two types of people that are calling. Uh, one is they're thinking of putting their house onto market. And they're thinking of like just maybe doing some touch-ups, some uh, may maybe a little bit of work here, a little bit of work there. Or, Manny, are you uh, uh, and your uh, spouse? Are you looking? At, is this going? To, is this your forever home? And you just really want to kind of do a really major yep. job. Which one are you? Yeah, that's a very good point. I've asked that question several times. Okay. Because if they tell me they're looking to just we call lipstick yep. and just flip it and then sell it. I'm like, I'm not the right person for you. And then there's the personalized, which is custom to your personal needs. Yeah. Yep. Which is more of your forever. So and those people are a little bit more serious. And then I guess you could possibly even ask about the budget. I also, if that's the kind of question that's presented to me, either in an email or a phone, the next question I ask is I generally go, have you submitted for permit? Have you had drawings already approved? Where we're at with that. If none of that is even a part of the equation, I just say I'm not the right person for you. Yeah. Because you're already calling a contractor before you even started the process of, of drawing up or even thinking. Because that basically tells me you have no idea how much this is going to cost. That's a red, a red light for sure right away. Like when they don't want to use a permit, it mm -hmm. usually tells me they're really cheap. And that scares me. It's not so much cheap as much as they just don't, they want it done quicker. I know, but I don't, when I go work for somebody, they're not my friend. And I know they will screw me over at some point whenever they get the chance. And so if I do a job for them and I don't pull a permit, I guarantee that if a city inspector shows up, they're going to throw me under the bus. So I really like when people say, yes, I want to do a permit, because that tells me they're really serious people. They've taken some time and they're ready for a re real renovation. So, mm -hmm. Kim, after we get that initial call, we kind of vet them a little bit. They pass. We get to that first meeting. We just met. We're getting a sense of it. We're kind of standing off from it. Then we have that second meeting. At what point do we start talking numbers? At what point do we start selling? And how do we start selling? Good question, Manny. You want to do a, a, another scenario here of, uh, let's say uh, you might have landscapers uh, listening. A common thing would be to, when you get to the uh, owner's home is to do walk around right away. Suggestion here would be maybe don't do the walk around right away. Go to the kitchen table. 
And part of that is old age question here of uh, who really wants to be in control of that conversation? Mm, does wow. it want to be the buyer or does it want to be you? Yeah. If you let that, you just use that landscaping as an example, if you let them take you around and they say, I want to do this, I want to do that, all of a sudden they've taken control of yes. the conversation. Yeah. So I want to start right off at the beginning of, no, let's start at the kitchen and let's have a little bit more of a conversation. And at that particular point, that's where you can actually start to talk budget as well. So, so tell me a little bit what you want to do. What does your budget look like for this here? Another question that's not asked, and, and, and I think it's still important for this here, is who's always going to be part of the decision-making process here? I was just about so to say right. that because I've always requested that, mm -hmm. like secretly, where can we sit down? Because then I can just peripherally start to look at the house and get a sense of it. Getting to the kitchen is an ideal spot because it makes you travel through the house to get to the back of the house. So now you get a sense of the first floor. Once you sit down, the second thing I start paying attention to is the dynamic between the couple. And then if they have children, we start seeing the family, the family dynamic now. Right. And that starts to and I've been in meetings before where I've seen spouses start to argue and even call each other's names, each other's names right in front of me, which I'm like, I'm out of here at that point. Politely, I'm out of here. I'm not interested in that. But you're totally right, because then at that point, you'll find out who will be making the final creative decisions or who's going to drive that boat. And then you can start speaking to them. I've always loved it when I was in earlier meetings and you sit down and you've got a room full of people and you're doing a presentation you know this, Kim, within minutes or even seconds, you know who the top dogs are at that table and you can see who's all addressing to certain specific people. So then you quickly, without being introduced with titles, you're, you're quickly realizing who actually has the titles and then you can start addressing your points to those kinds of people. It's the same thing with construction. If you got family, for whatever reason, if they brought their sibling involved, if they got a good friend or, you know, they brought up Pinterest on the iPad or a house or whatever, you can all address all those issues at that very moment. Right. I like that a lot. It's actually a very important point, And it's in in my contract. When I go through everything, I get everyone to initial every paragraph that we read in there. In the changes, I also make sure that when there is a change or something's added that's going to slow down the project or change the project with budget someone has to sign off on it because without their signature saying yes that's what you said you kind of you're kind of stuck there you know playing against they're playing against you and i think it's a great idea like if it isn't one person then you should sit both of them down and if they're not going to make the time you should make it clear at the beginning that they have to make time when it comes to decision making and changes right now, I was going to say on a, bit, a much bigger project, so let's say somebody's looking at building uh, an industrial building, warehouse, uh, you might think that you have everybody in the room that is going to be part of the decision. Always good, again, to ask just a clarifying question as you get to this here. Uh, just ask them, just say, you know, as we move through, through this project, you know, so we got you, you, and you here at the final part to make the decision, are we missing anybody? Mm -hmm. Just ask them that. They, they still might lie. They might say, no, we're all here. You might get kind of caught at the end of it, but still ask that clarifying question. Just say, is there, is there anybody else as we move down this uh, to an actual decision? Are we missing anybody here? Does anybody else need to be involved? And if they say, yeah, there's Bob, there's Mary that's going to have to be at the final decision. A mother, a father. Yep. Whoever, just say, can we bring them into the conversation now? That's a great point. Well, with today's technology, you could easily do that if they're available at that point, but that's great. So moving on from there, 
now we're getting closer to actually, I guess, submitting an estimate for their approval, and then they can assess it. You're still handling the same thing. The idea is that we're keeping them on their side of the fence. We're staying on our side of the fence. We're not trying to be confrontational. We're not trying to oversell, I guess, ourselves to them or our product. But I mean, it's nice to just pat our team on the back and just say, I've got some of the best trim guys. I've got the, some of the best tile guys and just discuss it because they're probably going to be referencing work that they've seen of yours through whatever platform. So at that point, maybe make a mental note of the, the particular projects that they're referencing and acknowledge the trades that were behind those and say, that's the person who did that work and just kind of make it more familiar at that point. Is that the idea? Yeah, good point, Manny. You just don't want to do that right at the first introduction. No, no, no. You don't want to as you're warming yourself. up, as you're warming up with them and they're getting warmer with you yeah. and they're thinking, okay, we've got three horses coming into this stable and now you're looking like a front runner kind of thing. And so if you can start sensing that, then you start adding more of that kind of information to, yeah. the, to the pot. I think it's a bad idea. I've learned that the one thing that kicks me in the ass all the time are my trades. So one thing I don't say to my customers anymore is that I'm the best. I don't say to my customers that my trades are the best anymore. I'm not saying that. I no, no, that. I know, but you mentioned it and someone might take it into contact, right? So I now... I've realized that that will bite you in the ass. And I'm just sharing that because it has affected me in my business where I, you know, they say, well, you said you were the best in this business and you said your guys were the best. No, but that's not what I said. No, 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 no. Like, I know, but I would never say I'm Canada's most trusted contractor. No, but it, 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 triggered, it triggered, a, it triggered an event for me several times that okay. where I've used that. And by you saying it, no, I said that I've got highly skilled tradespeople that do really good work. So if they're referencing a particular project, I would say, well, that's the person who did that, right? That's how I look at it. I'm yeah. not saying that we're the best because that's 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 a, a, an ignorant statement because there's so many good people in this industry that do amazing work. So I would never say that I'm the best. It's impossible. But a lot of guys do hire people not because of their trades, but because of that individual. And True. And we all do things differently. And even when I have problems with my guys, I say... Why are you doing it that way? Well, that's the way I do it. And I go, no, you're doing it my way. Stop doing it your way. Because that's what the customer wants is my way. So, Kim, now we're getting to the point where they decided to hire us. Have we gotten to that point now? Yeah, we're, we're at that particular point right now. Carlito, you had mentioned something. And I, I think a lot of contractors get stuck in this here. So you're, you're at this, the, 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 you know, what you're going to do in the price part. What do you do about a week down the road, a day down the road, and they say, I want to add this on? How so do you address that? It's, it's amendments at that point. It's all alterations, right? So if you've already, this is before or after you've already committed to a final amount and a final scope. You've got the final amount, final scope. Okay, so then it's it's a revision at that point. So you just before you started any work, you just explained to them that now you're adding an amendment to the actual agreement saying that this alters the schedule, this alters the scope, this alters the budget. That's what, so we start bringing that up as a separate piece. And then how often do they say, I don't have any more money in the budget? Can oh, that do, happens every single day. That's the problem. So how do you stop that? So I've always <laughs> said, and Carlito, you probably agree with me too, is that you do not give them free work. You don't, you eliminate other scopes. So if they're asking for something else to happen in addition to the original scope, then your first conversation should be, we have to look at the original scope and what you want to remove now. 
that's how the number is going to come down. It's not going to come down magically by me saying you'll get these line items for free. That's the devil that happens in construction. But the professional in us, mm-hmm. for the guys that have been in business for a long time, or guys that are just really business smart, in the contract, I always tell them, when we start this project, there are no changes. We've, we, I have to, as a contractor, How can you educate them. It's construction. No, I know, but I have to educate them that they have to do this job this way, and any extras need to be added now, because if you don't have the budget, there's nothing to talk about. I would love anybody that's listening right now to reach out to me and tell me that you've done a construction project, a renovation that never had a single change. You can change that though. <laughs> you really can. And in and the stipu- no, every and in project, stipulations, it, 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 it you have to put this. No, in but Kim's got a very good point. And how so? How, how how would be the best way to handle that? So you haven't started the project yet. You've agreed to the scope. You signed an agreement. You're ready to rock and roll. It's on the schedule. And then a week before the job is supposed to start. Oh, by the way, coming from the person who has a final decision, because we've already acknowledged that, we wanted to add this. We understand that this will increase the budget. So how do we handle that as a salesperson now? Well, if you've discussed it with them ahead of time of what is going to happen, if there's additions, then it should be uh, a non-issue. So I just say to Carlito, though, I would like to take the stance of we will do additions, so put that into the conversations. We will do add-ons, we'll do this here, but realize that's on top of the budget and it will be additional to the budget because you can make more money that way. Well, I, I do. I just never got to finish because Manny's very aggressive. <laughs> um, so what I do is right away, if there's an extra, you're paying for that right away before the project starts and it changes. Even if the project hasn't started, it changes uh, the completion that, date. Uh, that doesn't make it, any... Because you know what? You they, haven't started the work though. But I know, but I've already scheduled my life. I've already scheduled my business. I've already scheduled my time to put a month or two into a project. You can't just come along and say, oh, I want a second floor addition now. So now you're going to change my life. There has to be a penalty in it. It's it's an interesting dynamic. I've never come across that. It's always been as soon as you start the job and then you get that mentality of since you're already here and you've got a whole circus of handy people, why don't you fix all these other little things? In the beginning, as contractors, we want to play nice and we'll offer a few things and we'll take care of it. But then that grocery list starts to grow and it gets to the point where we can't be that personal handy person for you. That's not what the reason is. I agree with you, though, that if you haven't started the job yet, you signed a deal, then they all of a sudden ask for an extra. The day that you start the job, that extra is paid for. Well, okay, so that's what I was leading I agree to with because, you. again, that. I. His my conversation was finished by. <laughs> I'm just trying okay. to move. No, no, things. no. I know, but I think this is a really important part because this is where every contractor screws up, and this is where every contractor loses his money. So, yeah. you and me, Kim, we agreed on a hundred thousand dollar basement job, and now I'm a week ready from starting. You need to learn your lesson very well that you're going to change your mind now. It's going to cost you. And I don't want to be the nice guy like Manny. I just want to come to work and do my job, and I want to take care of you. I'm not going to be an asshole, but there has to be a consequence to you changing your mind and my schedule. Right away, you're going to pay for that extra, and the time schedule is going to change. It's not going to start, or I'm going to add that time frame to the contract. But you're going to pay for the extra before I even 
get paid for the rest of the project because if that's the extra, you need to learn from the beginning that it's going to cost you every time you do that. So that's going to make sure that you don't make more changes along the way and you'll make all your changes now so that we go through this nicely. I don't think it's about teaching them that they won't make more changes because that's unheard of. They will make changes. So it's just more about educating them on the change process. With that, what happens you're a quarter of the way into the renovation or the build and they just see how things are coming together and they, you know, they go down, if it's a basement, they look at it and say, you know what, I'd rather this be like that. Would you not be okay with a, let's say a small change, but yeah, there's going to be a price to that and you will make money. It's going to cost them more money, but you're still going to make more money. Here's the thing, Kim, is that everybody in construction, especially the new guys and girls, they're afraid to have those conversations. Well, that's why we're here talking about it. Today. I know, but they are afraid. I but, mean, we were yep. afraid at one point too. But we've learned this from the podcast and from all our guests. Yeah. So the it's one, a, it's okay to do that. I, I'm just saying out there to. It's to, a business. To, it it's a it business. is okay to do it's, it. Yes. It, it's okay to do the extras, but what's important is that. No, no, hang on a sec. It's not okay to do the extras. It's okay to do the extras, but it's okay to discuss the costs associated with the extras right. and when those costs are going to be addressed. So I'm leading to this now okay. is that I'm doing your basement and you want to add another door. Well, that's going to be 500 bucks. You think I'm going to do that for free? Pocket door. So, so what I do, yeah, now, now we're up to 3000 Okay, right on. Uh, so what I'll do Soft is close, I'll door. write that down and I'll write down how much that extra cost for me to change that and i'll just say let's date it and, and and mark it down that i'm doing that right now we'll talk about that later if i think it's a little thing if i think it's going to be a deal breaker i'll do it for free to a certain extent but i'll have that written down and i'll have it marked if i notice that two or three items get on that extra it's got to stop and at the end of the game when there's always a problem i can always use as leverage to continue to talk about money problems but you're already too deep in by that time so what are your thoughts kim <laughs> <laughs> it's just Happen. well business is tough it, it, it is i'm just trying to educate like we are everyone knows in this industry tradespeople are bad at business that's all we're trying to do is we're trying to educate them on how to handle these scenarios because i guarantee you we both guarantee you you will come across these scenarios and you might get there's different levels of clients. So they there might be the, the great client at the beginning and they turn evil at the end. The really grumpy client at the beginning, they turn into sweethearts at the end. And then there's the Jekyll and Hyde that just keeps on flipping back and forth throughout the entire process, right? You're going to have to learn how to handle all this stuff, but you're right. I love that you you said that one thing where don't forget it's a business. You're making You're here to make as much as you're here to drive your passion and and you you're really good at the skill and you, your team and it's still a business you need to make money otherwise you'll be the government you know what i mean so it's like you have to focus on handling your business properly or, uh, or you'll have no business or no business exactly that's, that's right but i've noticed about you kim is that you remind me of a little bit of my therapist and doctor <laughs> and you're asking questions to learn about us which i think is very it's amazing that you're actually picking apart what the problems are before you start getting into business of business. And so right now I'm going to take a little break and I'm going to ask you, I want to do a pick a bone with you. So just to break it up for a second, I want to ask you a question. What's your bone to pick in, in the business? business world? In the business world? Yeah. 
Oh, bone to pick in the business world. Honestly, pretty well almost what we're talking here today. People not being prepared, people not realizing that it is a business. Uh, when I talk to prospects, so they're not clients yet, but when I speak to prospects and I ask them what their uh, selling process is, these words come out of their mouth all the time. I say, what's your selling process? What's your, how, do you, how do you organize your, your business? They say, we wing it. We wing it. We wing it. That, that's pretty much construction. Yeah. So what do you say? I'm saying let's put a system into place so that when you talk to a prospect, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're not winging it. You're not going in there and say, well, I'm not really sure how this one's going to go today. It's like you go in and you speak to a prospect, whether or not it's that first phone call, and then you go into a meeting, but you use a system, you use a process, and you use it every single time. So where are we getting this process from? Are we designing it ourselves, or are we working with someone like yourself to come up with our, our process? Our That's something that, that I teach. I yeah. teach a system, a process okay. uh, of what you would use every single time. So that's your biggest downfall that you see in business, is that people just aren't prepared going in. Yeah, and it could be solopreneurs to a medium-sized business, to a multi-million dollar business. The majority of people are just winging it. I, I've, I've talked to some pretty big companies and I asked their VP of sales, what is your sales process? And they say, we wing it. Are you kidding wow. me? Wow, I want to so wing I guess, it. I guess luck is just on their side at some times and then... Luck takes you so far. And it's the, true. And, and, and then it falls apart. It does. Yeah. But what mm. are some of the key processes? Yes, <laughs> I was getting to that. <laughs> I'm excited because uh, I want to. I want to write. Mean. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be listening to this one again and writing it down. <laughs> one of the key things right off the bat is is we talk about when you meet somebody, we call it bonding and rapport. Now I want to emphasize this here. A lot of people think bonding and rapport is you might go into somebody's house and you 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 see a, a set of golf clubs, and all of a sudden you have a five minute conversation about golfing and how we love it. A lot of people think, I did it. I did that bonding nope. report stage. No, bonding report is so much deeper than yeah. that. Bonding report to us would start with, as I said, you don't go in and you don't tell people how good you are. You stay way, way far about that, of, of, away from that. And what you do is you talk about them. You talk about what are what's important to them, what are they looking for. And that conversation could be, as you said, Manny, I wouldn't go into that first conversation and, and sit there for five hours. That's, that's a waste of time. But maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. Start off with that. And go in and talk to somebody in the way of, I'm thinking of something you said, Carlito, is you walk in there and you don't need the business. If you walk in somewhere and they feel that you need the business, you're going to lose right away. So if you walk in there and you just have that feeling is, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be the right person for this uh, particular job here, and you stay way back behind that pendulum and have that conversation, you're going to have a much better bonding relationship with that particular you're, person. You're so right, because I've gone into jobs that I didn't have the time to do and that, was I, your, and that was your attitude. I, I quoted them. Uh, I quoted them for the inconvenience if I had to do the job. And those customers ended up being my best customers. Yep. You're right. So That's moving on from there, part of the process, what else are we looking at? So we just met them. We're getting an idea. We're not showing that much interest in getting the project. Then we're moving on to, I guess, the next stage where we're actually start talking about numbers and we're presenting where we're coming from now 
Is I, that the idea? Or? I'm going to throw a step in uh, in between all of this here is that any time that you have a meeting with a, a prospect and even when they become a client, set up uh, any type that you have a meeting, and you may already do this, but uh, some people may not, is set up what I would call an upfront contract. So one, how long is that meeting going to be for? So that everybody knows so that when you're coming there or they're coming to your wow, place. Oh, I like this. Set it up right away. Just say, we're going to meet. So just by minutes. that tone, you realize that he's never done that. Well, it, I, <laughs> no, well, I've just winged it. <laughs> set, set it up uh, time. And, but then also set up, what is that meeting for? Yes. You're going to have certain things on your agenda. So make sure that that's on the agenda. But then also then ask the prospect or if they're a client, what's on your agenda today? So you've got a time, your agenda, their agenda, and then ask them what is your expected outcome at the end of this meeting. You also tell them what your expected outcome is so that at the end of the meeting, it, it's, it's not like, well, where are we going? Mm -hmm. It's like we know where we're going. Now, certainly things can change in the meeting, but if you set it up that way, chances are you're going to have a very good productive meeting. And, and everybody's outcome is I like is that. Met. I like that. Okay, so that's the step there. So that's a step there. And then the next in the process would be, and we touched on it a little bit, is, yeah, talk about budget. Get that laid out there. And I would say at this particular time, maybe yes, maybe no, depending on the project, is this is where you may have the discussion about, you know, what's going to happen to add-ons, additions, and things like that. Yeah, honesty. Yeah, be upfront about yeah. all of that. So let me ask you, Kim, about this. So when we lay out our budget and our costs, some contractors do it as a complete scope and they might generalize certain departments. Other contractors will do it line by line item. Mm -hmm. And either scope or either presentation, there is a section where it's profit, management fee, whatever you want to call it. That line item is always attacked by the client. It's always questioned whether, you know, how much percentage it is, or what the value is or whatever. How do we answer that question? How do we defend that we still have to create profit in this transaction? I would just be honest with them. That's that's the that's the, the that's the profit. For, that's the cost. For, that's the that's cost just the cost. Eh? That's the cost. And what you don't want to get into, and it and you got to be for you. You need to be confident when you're going in to present that because again, it's that thing with the dog. If the dog thinks you're afraid, yep. they're going to do that. So if you go in with little confidence, they're going to again beat you up over that. If you walk in with confidence and just have that, what you don't want to get into is defend yourself. If you start to defend that that profit part there, it's going to be a, a no win for you. But if you just go in confident and just say, well, that's the profit or that's the cost. I what, totally what, agree. Whatever I you want to call it. I you totally agree with you. And just end it at that. Mm -hmm. just, say, just say that one line and then be quiet. Because anything else you say is defensive, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You just say it and be quiet. Yes. And there will, there will be silence at that point. Of course there will. <laughs> you don't say a word. Mm -hmm. You can breathe. Don't say a word. Sometimes listen, listening and not saying anything is more sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually that. You're right, Carlito. That's very powerful. It would be Wait. great in a podcast sometimes, huh? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've, I have had problems in the past where I used to give people quotes I'm very good at figuring out the numbers. Right now, during COVID, I'm not. Uh, it's changed the business very a lot. It's changed a very like a lot. But before, I'd give a quote, and I would give a verbal quote, and it would be free. Uh, I'd say sixty thousand dollars, and they'd say, "Well, can you break that down?" And I'd say, "Yeah, it used to be five hundred bucks, but now, if you want that quote broken down, it's going to be three thousand. 
And now they're like 3000 I'm like, well, I'll take that $3,000 off after we start the project. I'll take that quote off because that's my time making that quote. And that also kind of has prevented me from getting people I don't want to be in business with. So it's kind of separated the serious people from the people that were just looking for a quote. And that's my personal time that I have to give to my family and my business and myself, right? So question, Pl plumbers seem to be very good right now that if you want a plumber to come into your house, it's going to cost you 100, 150 bucks for them just to show up. <laughs> Wait, wait, hang on a sec. What, 500, what, 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 what 600, what year is 750. This? Like, what, this is 1971 or what's going on here? I've not had a plumber come to the house. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. It's going to be like 500 minimum just to show up, depending on what it is. But if it's just a service call, for sure. It used to be 250 a minimum charge for me to show up, and I'm not even a plumber. What's the question, Kim? So, so the question is, why, why do other trades not do that? See, that's where it's, it's that, see, the trades, the electricians, the HVAC, the, uh, the plumbers, it's like the car. It's like the shoe. It, you go in there, I got a clogged toilet. This is the cost for me to do this. You want me to change a toilet. You want me to change a sink. You want me to change a faucet. This is the cost for it. So they have these fixed prices, and the majority of the industry, it doesn't matter who you call, you're all going to be in around that same ballpark price. So that's why it's comparable to the car and the, the shoe. Yeah, well, I think there's something more to to this than just that. Was that? Uh, when you're talking about a plumber or you're talking about an electrician, you're talking about a license. And a drywaller and a painter don't have licenses. You might be certified in the city and have a construction license, but when you're when you need a permit or you have to have a legal paperwork, you can almost do anything you want because a plumber but has to have that I, I get that, but I, I think that if you, when you look at all the individual trades, okay, so I'm talking about comparing drywallers that are all apples. I'm not saying you yeah, get a different ball game then, yeah. Exactly, right? So if they're all apples, then that means their price points are all going to be around the same ballpark. If you, the problem is when you get clients that want to try to find some fly by night guys off of Craigslist or Kijiji or whatever, and you get a, a mango comes in and he's half the price of the, the apples, and you're they're like, Well, that's a great price, but there's got to be a reason why that drywaller is half the price, so you should question that. So, I think it's the same thing. All every trade, Mason, they have a square footage price. The good ones that are all the same, they're going to be all around the same ballpark. The licensee guys, same thing. Well, I mean. We're talking about drywallers. You could get a fly-by-night drywaller, really cheap. He'll throw up normal white half-inch drywall. I'll put blue or green in your washroom or concrete board up or eco-friendly drywall. Like We're talking about the, the materials change the price too and then how you apply them. You know what I mean? So uh, apples are apples, but they're not. Like you said, they, you have to no, show the, that. See, that's where there's a little bit of envy now because the tradespeople can all come in and they have that grocery list that they can compare and this is my price. So they, I, I, I love it because they come in and I'll go, listen, this is the scope that I need. They tally it all up. Here's the price. Next one can come in, tally it up. It's going to be a very similar price. As a GC, you come in, it's custom and you got to fluctuate and move around. So it's that negotiation. I like that you said... Once you have committed to what your price is, that this is your number, this is your profit, or this is your final number, this is what your service fee is, or whatever it is, don't defend it. Just present it. Oh, sorry. That's true, good. no? Yeah. Should be, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, if, the, if that uh, 
particular prospect says it's too much, I don't want to pay it, uh, there's somebody else down the road. Yeah. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to lower your price, go to the next person. So now we're getting along in the job. We've already discussed how we should handle any of the extras. We just, we are very blunt. And sign the contract. Sign the contract, present it. It's paid for. Work is accomplished. You move on. You adjust uh, the scheduling. You adjust the rest of the scope for the project. Now you're coming to the end of the job and you're wrapping up the job now. How do we handle that wrap up? There's going to be a bunch of extras not extras there's going to be questionable deficiencies i guess what i normally do is i'll walk around the entire project with all the trades that are responsible and i'll point out the deficiencies and then i'll give them an opportunity to fix it before i walk through with it with the client because i want the client to walk through and try to find as few deficiencies issues because that's going to be a conversation for my final bill and i don't want to have a conversation about my final bill yes and you know what Great point. This is where the realistic part comes in. Someone that bought the Hyundai version of the basement Renault cannot expect champagne taste with a beer budget. But they will. So you have to be, the people have to be realistic and you have to, you have to know how to deal with them when they come up to that point. You have to be very confident. You have to balance things out like the extras. Uh, the service, the timing, those are all the things that are going to play in, play in the way of you getting paid. Another thing is, too, is uh, for business, I don't think you should get paid more, but you should ne definitely not get paid less during the works. So, like, at drywall, if there's $10,000, at the end of drywall, you get your ten grand. You know, you finish mudding. That's all, that's all part of your payment fee. I'm just trying to get to the end and how you wrap up the job now with the client that hired you and everything for all intents and purposes has gone relatively smooth. They've gone over budget because it's guaranteed it's happened. <laughs> and so now you've got a final bill that has to be addressed. The work is all complete. And here's your final invoice. The client, I don't know about you, Carlito, but every client I've ever had to deal, deal with has always hinted nudge nudge i understand that it's twelve thousand dollars for the remaining bill is there a way that it could be eight thousand dollars or whatever like there's a there's a how do we handle that conversation because in my mind i want to handle it a certain way but i can't handle it that way because it involves police so it's just like how do we handle that conversation properly uh, i'll answer that uh, last part first manny so again if they say uh, we understand that there's twelve thousand left any way that we can reduce that no that's it i love it it's true. It's, no, it's just no. It's just no, and you don't say anything that's else. That's the agreement, and, and, and that's where that silence needs to come in. Because if not, then you're starting to defend, defend the twelve thousand yeah. dollars. So they ask the question, and the answer is no. Be quiet. Uh, <laughs> so, I love it. It's great. It, it, it's simple. It's simple. But Can I send you in on my <laughs> negotiations? <laughs> Now, there's another th uh, another concept here. So let's go way back to, uh, so you're at the kitchen table. You've got everything signed now. So you haven't started, but everything's signed. You're, uh, uh, you know what you're doing. Everything's okay. After they sign it, ask them a question. Just say, so, so let's say I, I'm the contractor, Manny, uh, I'm doing some work at your house. So Manny, uh, looking forward to get started. Uh, we'll be, uh, the, the, myself and the crew's gonna be here on uh, Monday morning, can't wait to get here. You know, Manny, probably some people, it might be your neighbors, they're gonna say, Manny, what were you thinking? What, why, did you, why did you decide to do this? 
what would you say to your neighbor if they start questioning what you're doing? <laughs> you want the real answer or you want the... No, no, why are you doing this? Why am I doing a renovation? Yeah, why are you doing it? Why, why are you putting $150,000 into your basement? What because are you doing? I'm not particularly happy or my significant other is not particularly happy with me with the way the house is right now. We've saved up our money. We're not borrowing money. We actually have allocated a certain amount to do this. We've always wanted to have our dream master, our dream backyard or whatever. I would defend the work that's happening, about to happen, and excited about it too. Was the question about why am I doing the reno? Like to my own house? I'm a homeowner. Yeah. So for me, for me right away, it has to be equity. Whatever I put into it, I have to get out more. So if I put 50 in, I want a hundred thousand out. So if I'm going to do something to my house, it's going to be good because I want to get my money. But in that line, it has to be realistic. You can't take things too personal. Sometimes you have to be open-minded for resale. And that's where a lot of that, Kim? A uh, couple of reasons why. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Yeah. Yeah, you got you. You bought maybe bought a big TV for yeah. ten thousand bucks or yeah, something. Yeah. And you, you know, you go back home and say, "Oh, what the heck did I do?" Well, one thing would be they're going to spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars with you for a new basement. You walk out, there might be buyer's remorse. Ever happen where somebody's called you back after you sign a contract and they say, you know what we thought? Not, of- not for me, but I've heard of other contractors and, and especially with what was going on with the pandemic in the beginning, yeah, there was uh, a lot that, of that going on. Yeah, that's a different That's story. a different story. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, guys, I, I'm pretty sure you had, no? or No, it, it always stopped before the contract got signed. Okay. okay. Uh, they just weren't but realistic. But neighbors are always nosy too. Like, so if the work's not being done at their house, then they dislike you for a little bit more yeah. because you're making your house better right i don't think of it so much as the equity equity is just a given it's going to happen as a result now the house value goes yeah, up but, but sometimes but it does and some equity is really bad some some work is really cheap and it will show as cheap and it doesn't matter what you do to it it will always sell as cheap yeah. and okay so so I just want to say two reasons to ask that question. Uh, so, so again, you've signed the contract, and again, hey Manny, why? You know, tell me why? Why are you doing this here? So you had your reasons. Carlito has had is. The thing is, everybody's going to have just yeah. different reasons for it. So one, it's to help to reduce the buyer's remorse, where they come back to you a day later and say, hey, you know what? I, I don't think I want to do this. The other is that if they do get questioned by a neighbor, uh, family members, uh, they know what to say. There's a bigger picture behind this, though, is that they're in their mind, they're thinking about it and actually articulating to you, which is actually to themselves, of why they're doing this. It also will help then at the end of the contract when they come to you and uh, say, where's that? What about gotcha. this $12,000? Chances are they're not going to do that. Because they know why they're doing it. They're on your side. There's there's a reason. There's an emotion of why they're actually doing this. Yeah. And that's what you want to get to. But you want them to get them to think about it and actually articulate it. Why am I doing this? I like that. So convince them that they're going to be happy with it before even starting it. They're actually convincing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're already committing by calling someone pretty much, right? Unless they're just... Not necessarily. No, this that is true, Carlito. They want to do it. But at the end of it, it's the, it's the money part. Well, it's always the money part. I know that yeah. I know that a lot of people. Some people can save up ten thousand in two months. Some people it takes them five years to save ten thousand. So when they look at their value of their money, they think that 
they can get so much for that 10,000, but it's not realistic, right? Okay, so now I want to actually touch upon what happens if things go south at different stages of a transaction. A client becomes bad, Mm -hmm. and, and now there's friction on work that's being performed. Maybe that buyer's remorse is just literally eating away at them because they've overspent, they've agreed. It's like grocery shopping. You walk into the grocery store, you bring in a buggy, you don't think anything of it, you grab the smaller buggy. Before <laughs> you know it, it's like stacked, stacked. And you're like, I wasn't planning on buying all this stuff. But somehow, it's not the contractor's fault, or it's not any of the tradespeople's fault that they you were asked a question, you gave them an answer, you suggested what it would cost, and then all of a sudden, a $500 item, a $1,000 item, and it keeps on adding. By the end of the job, you've got almost 50 grand in extras, and they've agreed to it legitimately, but they have major buyer's remorse, and now they want to be a little confrontational. How do we handle that as a contractor that is legitimately doing the right thing? Two things to me comes to mind, Manny, would be one, just having that uh, initial solid contract and uh, yeah, understanding that even with a solid contract, it's going to sometimes going to go south. Yeah. Uh, the other part is, as I said, every time you have a meeting with the uh, client now, the agenda, you, you have that agenda that will help to reduce it. And at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to have a certain percentage of people, but I think it's going to be less that actually then have that buyer's remorse and that you have a difficult uh, client. And at the end of the day, it's, it's again, you've got to be firm. You got to be confident. And this it is the way it is. If they yell at you and whatever, you know, walk away from them. Just walk away because it's just the tensions will just, it's fuel on fire. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Come come back when they when they're calmed down. So I, I don't know if it's that easy. You're you've, no, you've been in that it's, world. Yeah, it's not that easy. The thing is, uh, because you've got to be careful on how you walk away, because you have to make sure that they're not thinking you're walking away for good. So that's a different story. Now, you might be walking away because I don't like yelling on any job site. I don't appreciate anybody who yells on a job site because there's no reason for it. But yeah, if a client started getting vocal, I would just leave. Yeah, but your laughing is yelling. Yeah, <laughs> but the, whatever. People should know who I am then. Yeah. If I'm laughing, it's I'm an laughing evil laugh. at you. That's what it is. But <laughs> yes, yeah, so I agree with you about... Can, yeah. can you just do a simple, let's take 10? You can, and then you start feeling like a teacher in the school playground, and you're asking Billy to stop being a bully. And and that, though, Manny, is exactly what you're doing. Yeah. So so it's okay to treat them as a bully in the schoolyard because that's the that's the behavior that they are exhibiting. Yeah. So hmm. you, what you want to do is interrupt that behavior. So that's why I say walk away. Uh, if you stay there, you're going to be part of that behavior then, and they're going to keep doing. So if you walk away, that's interrupting their pattern. If you say, let's take t- uh, take 10 minutes out, that's interrupting the pattern. I like it, yeah. They're exhibiting probably the way that they were, as you said, Manny, as the bully in the schoolyard. Yeah. I you know, like it's just, funny. Just stop, just stop the behavior. It's, it's funny you say that 15 years ago, I had a customer that uh, saw what he thought was a failure in a product that I had put in. And he nicely called me and said, listen, I want to meet at a coffee store around from my house. And I was like, well, why don't I just come to your house? And he's like, no, I want to meet you somewhere other than the house. And dun, dun, dun. yeah, and that kind of lifted my hairs because I was wondering why. But anyways, us sitting away from the house made us reconnect in a different way that 
we were better after we figured things out than we were dealing with it hostile at the house. So it's a good point. So taking a break or walking away from it and doing it somewhere else. Occasionally the show goes to Carlito's life. <laughs> yeah, well, no, these are all things that happen, And right? then I bring it back to the construction life. So, yeah. Kim, I got a question to ask you. <laughs> How do we leave a job with the best intentions of having that client refer us to another job so then they can do our selling for us? Well, to me, you've actually created that through the whole environment. So okay. if you've created the right process through the whole part of that, and at the end of it, you may not want to do it at that final day, but no. come back, whatever that comeback is going to be like. Uh, Carlito likes to have coffees and stuff like that. I just, don't. Uh, just, <laughs> That's me. <laughs> just come back. And it's okay to actually just ask them. Just say, you know, just have a conversation about, you know, how were they pleased with it? And uh, if it comes to that I might need a referral at some point in the future, would you be able to give me a referral? You, you know, just ask them. That's kind of a bizarre question. I never use any of my customers as a reference. No, I don't either. I'm not asking them no, to, I don't, to but I'm, do I'm, that, but I'm just trying to figure out what seeds can I plant that they will just instinctively so do that. from my experience with my best customers that sell for me is that I finished it on their budget and I finished it on time with no headaches. And that sold it to their best friends, their mother, their father, their cousin, their daughter. And you don't need to even advertise at that point because it just keeps going until something happens, right? Until there's a conflict. Here's a thought. You're doing a renovation at somebody's home on a particular street. Would you normally then, if you're working on number five King Street, would you walk to the other homeowners and talk to them about the job you're doing it depends on the scope if it's a large enough job i actually blank at the neighborhood just to introduce myself because they're going to get upset from noise so then i'll just introduce myself here's the number if there's any concerns do you have any concerns if you see the job site being untidy or what have you please give me a call let me know address because i'm not going to be there 24 7. so i kind of just do that politician thing and just here's a nice thing here's a nice idea huh. so maybe that leaves a good impression and then obviously you're asking all the trades to keep the site clean and then i've gotten compliments before from other neighbors saying that you've kept the site really clean very impressed by that it's all great so yeah those little things happen and and i like that it happens because i've always told anybody young or old someone's watching the neighbors are going to come out they're going to like especially nowadays if everybody's working from home they're going to come out for a walk, walk the dogs or whatever, and they're going to pay attention. So if they pay attention and then they're going to be in the market for work, they might call, call you as a result. I think the experience of if I'm doing work for you on a block and somebody wants me to check out their place, I usually talk to the homeowner to find out what kind of person that is if I even want to do work on that street. So usually the homeowner will tell you who thinks they own the parking spots out front of their house who's problem with the garbage, who complains about noise. And that's your in to find out if you even want to have a customer on that street. And what going back to what we started at the beginning, I'm like looking for my jobs. I don't like I, I'm picking my jobs. I'm not like just looking for work. I don't need work. When I go into a house, as much as they're interviewing me, I am always interviewing them. And if I don't feel like I can work for somebody and I think there's going to be a problem, gossip, problems i always walk away so kim other things that I, I love that we basically went through the entire process of us selling ourselves selling our services and getting our client 
and the potential of having them refer us to future clients, we haven't really addressed the bad business techniques that most people in this industry have. We've talked about the process, which I totally agree with you that they should start looking at a process on how they do this. So whenever they meet somebody, it's just a routine. This is their playbook. What else can they do in their business to keep on building their business on a proper level? Because they, they spend more, much more attention on the skills part of it instead of the business part of it. Probably the biggest thing that I hear just on the business part is, again, they don't have systems and processes mm -hmm. to actually run the business. So, again, just uh, booking jobs and uh, being on time and things like that. I was going to say, Manny, what do you see probably as some of the biggest problems so that maybe I can be more specific on my I, response? I think that a lot of people in construction trades people, I think even a lot of new GCs are handling their scheduling by wherever chicken scratches they can put it on. Right. I, I think that uh, no different than... I, I don't think a contractor or a tradesperson should actually be doing their own bookkeeping or their own accounting unless they've actually know about that. I think they should hire somebody to handle their booking. They should hire somebody to handle their accounting. And I think scheduling should be the exact same thing too. You should have an admit person that is just focused on scheduling. So I think that if you look at you know scheduling, servicing, ordering material, you start figuring out who's doing that, who's going to delegate that, who's going to run it, operate it. It doesn't have to be you all the time as, as the owner or op of the business. So I think that a lot of people in this business take advantage of those situations and they think, oh, I'll just take care of it. I'll just take care of it. And before they know it, they've got a thousand things to do in one day and they'll, they'll slip. Yeah. And you can't remember everything. No, no. <laughs> uh, um, I think it's uh, brilliant what you just said, because from my friends that are doing very well and from uh, people that we've interviewed on the podcast... I'm finding that people that have taken their time and realized that how precious it is, they've hired people because they've already, they've already priced in the contract for those costs. So when you hire an accountant to do your accounting and then warn you on what you're spending your money on too much of or too little or where, that's someone professional in that field and it could cost you less to hire someone professional in that field than for you to try to do everything and save money. It actually costs money. One of my friends right now, he went from being a, a guy like me that goes to the house, that prices, estimates, invoices, does the work, does all, the, all that. He now hires a manager, and all he does now is put fires out. So he's there on the initial walkthrough. And then he passes it on and all the negotiations, all the pricing, all, all the business gets done through another guy. He does all of that for him. It saves him time to be able to put fires out in big projects. And now he's become a very big company. Gives you your time back to put it where you need to for your business. Yeah, and there, there are so many different programs right now that can make this real easy for you. And if you're not using a bookkeeper, a proper accountant, if you're not scheduling property uh, properly, how many hours that in a day yeah. do you work? Yeah, that's the thing. You're, you just swamp. You have no time for yourself. You're trying to run your business. You're, you get mixed up. Uh, you forget things. You fall behind. You're spending every single hour of the day trying to run your business, and it's not a great life. The other thing that a lot of the younger kids are doing, or I see that they're doing a lot sooner than us older kids did it, is they're looking to expand a lot sooner. At what point do you realize that 
okay, I've gotten to a certain level. I'm ready to start expanding. I'm going to get a second crew. I'm going to get a third crew. I'm going to get a workshop space. At what point should you tell them that you're ready to do that? It's when they basically have figured out all their processes in place and everything's working smooth as a ship. And that's when they're ready to go or they should just take the leap and do it. I hear that not only in the trades business, but so many businesses today that uh, the, the younger kids, they just want to grow and they want to grow fast. And normally what's happening is they're jumping too quickly and they're getting themselves into trouble. I, I'm actually just going to go and venture. There's there's a lot of good business coaches out there. Find a good business coach. I don't know what they cost, uh, but I know that they will help you direct your business. And the good thing about that is if you get a good business coach, it gives you just what you're asking, Manny, it gives you great accountability. One, they will help you make that plan. They understand the numbers. They understand at what particular time you can actually make that step or wouldn't say a leap, but make that step to go to that next stage. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to struggle. So but are you not a business coach yourself? I do business coaching. I, I try to focus more on the sales aspect of it. Yeah, I've ran businesses as well, but uh, I can help somebody coach through a business, but I'd like to stay just in the sales bucket myself. So if one of the listeners is listening right now, how do they get a hold of you and what are you going to do with them to make their construction business better? Well, I, I gave up his deets and I'm going to give up his deets no, a little bit No, I know, but like... <laughs> To kind of encourage people to come and learn more about business, what is it that you're going to focus on and work on so actually, to change what your business? I, what I do in my field, uh, Clarito, is uh, I actually uh, give somebody a, a survey first, a business survey. Oh. And, and I, what I want to take a look at, so again, this is, uh, this is my example of not selling. It's I want to find out more about the uh, particular company. So I want to take a look at you know, the size of the company. Do, do they actually, who does the sales? Is it just the owner or do they actually have a sales team out there? So I want to take a look at the structure of the business. Do they have a sales strategy? Uh, what type of customers are they uh, looking for? Most people say, I have no idea what type of customer I'm looking for. It's just like I can do work for everybody. Back to winging it. Back to winging it again. So it's really taking an in-depth look at where they are in the company. and Geo-targeting, figuring out where they want to work. Yep. All that stuff, huh? Yep. I like that. Yeah, why, why drive out to London for two hours to do a deck? Because somebody was going to pay you some money? No, not not a good enough reason. I'm sorry, but... Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people do that. So, so I start off, uh, Carlito, with a lot of questioning to the person. My first meeting with somebody actually is 90 minutes. And I'm uh, very open to them. I say, I don't know if I'm the right person for you, but let's go through this here and see what the next conversation is going to be like. So you've been listening and hearing the problems. What do you recommend for someone like us in business to do? Whether or not it's a business coach, a sales coach, uh, find somebody that can teach you a system and a process and hold you accountable to it as well. Uh, being an independent business person out there is tough. Mm -hmm. uh, so where, where do you get the guidance, proper business processes, proper sales processes, and then hold you uh, accountable for what you're doing? Get away from the wing it. Don't do that. Is it worth sharing or even being part of groups? on either line or in person and just networking with the other people that are in the same boat as you, other tradespeople, contractors. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Love Be that. The one thing with construction is that everyone thinks that everybody is a competition. We try to tell everybody that everybody's part of the community. Yep. So you might as well share, but don't be afraid to share yourself because you'll be asked to do that as well. 
Yeah, love communities, get together, and um, yeah, if you if you look at it, that uh, that's my competition. You're very short-sighted. Yeah, everybody's a little different. Everybody has certain skills, uh, and some people, honestly, they just. Even for me, they might say, you know, I'm working with you, Kim, because I don't like you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, that, I get that all the time, Kim. That, that, so my <laughs> wife says about me. <laughs> yeah, come together as a group. Learn from each other. There's lots of business out there. Cool. I guess we're, we're getting close to wrapping it up, but you got some more questions? Oh, yeah. Um, of course, dozens of them. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you is, and it might be too personal, but I'm interested in coming and sitting down with you. Usually, how many sessions do I sit down with you? Normally, somebody would work with me a minimum of 10 weeks, and that would be 90 minutes a week for uh, 10 weeks. Basically, what we're looking at is uh, teaching you new behaviors, new skills. Uh, do either one of you golf? No. Only when I'm forced. Okay, okay. I'm tried a hunt, it, I'm I a tried hunter. it once, and okay. I don't want to try it ever again. I'm sorry. Okay. But. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening <laughs> There's lots of that, people in construction that golf. Yeah, they well, love it. Well, that's what I would say. There's a lot of people that probably golf that's listening to this. I year. wing it. And, well, <laughs> <laughs> my, my analogy for the golf is uh, for the golfers out there, if, uh, if you go to the golf pro, uh, the question would be, and think about this here for the ones that golf here. If you go see the golf pro, does your game get better or worse? It always gets better. Uh, it should. Initially, it gets worse, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You see somebody, you, well, because you're changing what you're used to doing. So, so you're not going to be uh, doing it quite properly. So you normally get a little worse. So that's why I say in the training, a minimum of 10 weeks uh, just to kind of get into the flavor of it. People that really want to be good at it, uh, they actually see me every week for a year. Is there a cost to it, though? Uh, pricing could be all over the place, and I, depending on how much you need. I like where you at as business, like where, where your business is at, you have to first figure out what bad habits they have. You have to break those bad habits, and then you got to give them new habits. How are the results from your students a year or two? Do you, do you ever hear from them? Do they call you back and say, oh, this really changed my life, the, that didn't work, or... Actually, even sooner than that, Carlito. Wow. Uh, yeah, because you're, you're learning something new, and if you implement what you're learning, you'll, you'll see results within a few weeks. Yeah. We were talking about something earlier I wanted to mention. We were talking about selling businesses. And I think that, you know, you said mm. something. You said, you've always said this, and it always stuck with me, is when you brand yourself and you don't change your company name and you keep it for 25 years or 35 years or 10 years but you brand it really well you're you're not only like a threat and your competition and sometimes big corporations they just want to buy things like that out just to stop, close the business down so that they don't have that true so i thought it was really important that when you're branding yourself you put a lot into it you just don't you know put a little little energy into it you put a lot of energy into it because you can pay out because i have heard success stories of people selling their businesses and it changed their life in the retirement years the pension years right well i was just going to say it's not they they've sold their business before their retirement years so they can enjoy their retirement years or possibly try something else yeah. and that's that's totally doable in construction everybody thinks that you have to literally work until you stop moving yeah so i'm glad you brought that up today because not just uh, trades, but anybody that starts a business, they're, they're, when they start the business, their only mindset is starting the business. 
your mindset should be, I'm starting my business, I'm going to run it, but I'm also going to retire from it too. Yeah. So, but that, that selling part of it usually comes up about six months before they want to sell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and earlier on, uh, with the whole podcast, you know, you said, how can you, you know, next to seeing yourself and reading better books, uh, how can you help yourself? Myself, I like going, I like going on like Facebook marketplace and I'll, I will play and negotiate with people for things I really don't care for myself. I'll buy things for people, but I will take them to the ground. And for me, most of the people, and I, I always, I always send them good texts. I don't. Why? Why? I don't. Why? I, I find that the negotiation and the win is so satisfying that I could take that into business. Like I take that confidence into business. So when you're practicing all the time, you end up having that with you and subconsciously you'll just do it without knowing. So like say something's 500 bucks, I I'll get it for 50 bucks and, and you could find the desperate. And when I was saying about the desperate, I can see a desperate or I can hear a desperate person even through texting. Um, and that's how you can learn not to be desperate yourself. So that's kind of like a little thing I do for myself to negotiate and, uh, you know, do business and, just strategy and how to get something I want. And as contractors, we want that contract and we want to make this much money for that contract. Kim, I just, I just realized something that I guess a lot of people today, they commit to exercising for argument's sake, let's just say, so they'll probably exercise a half hour every day, three to five times a week. And I wonder as business owners, do we give ourselves even a half hour every day to actually figure out our business? Or do we wake up, go to business, handle business, go home, and then start all over again the next day? And how much better we would be if we spent that extra half hour every single day about our business? That, that's why I said, Carlito, people that go into my program or they go to any other program, that's where they'll see changes almost right away because you're, you're changing that behavior. Mm. So again, it, it, like you said, Manny, waking up in the morning and then going to bed, waking up in the morning, going to bed and doing the job in between, but just taking that time to actually start to think about a sales process, a business process, things change very quickly. Out of all the blabble about myself, give me, just, just give me one freebie <laughs> on how I can better my business. How you just one freebie. Don't wing it. oh he's good (laughs) because you've been winging it this whole time yeah (laughs) wing it baby (laughs) all right kim so thank you so much we still got one last segment to do kim pillar from uh, sandler sandler cornerstone center for continued learning and the website is www.kimpillar. Is it dot Sandler? Yes. Okay. Dot com. And then the email is kim dot pillar at sandler dot com. And the Instagram is kim underscore pillar. Twelve questions of construction. Did you get all your questions out? Or you got more questions still? I think we're gonna have him back. Oh, well, he's right there, right across the yeah, street. But we're gonna have him back. <laughs> well, it's not across the street. <laughs> that's just, that's the roadway there. Uh, we'll change this up for business. Uh, we'll make it work for business. Ready for this? What is your favorite business word? Ooh. Business word. Profit. Hmm. <laughs> Least favorite business word. Uh, wing it. <laughs> <laughs> what turns you on in business? Oh, I get jazzed uh, helping people be successful. Good for you. What turns you off in business? 
uh, when people don't do what I ask them to do. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. What is your favorite curse word? Dang. Dang? <laughs> what is going to be wing it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? Uh, favorite vehicle? I drive an Acura. TLX. Sorry nice. to hear that. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> what is your least favorite vehicle? Oh, uh, uh, Pinto. Oh, man, oh, I love the Pinto. taking me back, man. <laughs> I love the Pinto. I take it, the gas tank in the back. Yeah, the explosions. Huh? Well, that, well that's, that, that was a big vision to me. It's like... Oh, I used to do donuts and Pintos. Everybody's listening. They're like going, they're looking it up. And while you were looking it up, check out the Gremlin. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad little card, too. And, and they make the Gremlin the same color as your shirt. As your shirt. I it's know. funny because those two cars were awesome cars. Yeah. <laughs> Lime green. <laughs> What, uh, uh, I don't know how this is going to come across, but I guess what business sound or noise do you love? Kerching. Kerching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. What business sound or noise do you hate? Clunk. Clunk. Oh. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt, Kim? Uh, <laughs> Not a contractor. <laughs> no. Other business. You know, I always, uh, banking. Banking. I don't know why that's top of mind. Hmm. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, construction, what you guys do. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, it, it is just Can we ask my, why? It, yeah, it's just, I'm just, it's just not, I can't do it. It's oh. like, like you guys are good with your hands and tools. It's like if you saw me, you'd just say, Kim, just walk away. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. 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 Do you have any other questions you want to I do to? have one question. Go ahead. Shoot there, bro. What's the one thing I should remember about uh, landing a deal with the customer? Having the customer across from me, what is going to be the, the one thing that's going to make or break it? When you give them that deal and put it over, be quiet. Silence. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Wow. Don't, you've done, be, you've be, done the homework. You've done the work. Yep. That's confidence. Yep. Yeah, you be confident, you be quiet. If you start to talk, all of a sudden you'll start to backpedal, you defend yourself, and all of a sudden it'll go... South. Down the toilet. That's a good hand, point. Hand it over. I'm quiet right now. Be silent. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. And that's hard to do for a podcast. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, thanks very much. Carlito, I think we're out of here. Thanks again, Kim. Really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, everyone reach out to him if you've got any questions. He's definitely going to be worth uh, having a chat with. If you don't mind anybody reaching out, sends an email. Uh, Kim Pillar from Sandler Cohen Storm Center for Continued Learning. Uh, www.kimpillar.sandler.com And then email is kim.pillar at sandler.com And on Instagram, follow guys. It's Kim underscore Pillar. Thanks very much, Kim. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We're out of here. Straight out of Oakville. <laughs> Ah, business world. <laughs> <laughs>